Good morning, everyone. I'm JD. I'm one of the pastors at Pine Lake Covenant Church. Join me in prayer this morning. Let us pray. Father God, I'm so grateful for the ways you love us, for the ways you care for us, and for the ways that you bring us together as community. Thank you, God, for the gift of technology that connects us even in the midst of these times. Lord, we bring all of ourselves to you, all the emotions and responses. We share our losses and we share our hopes this morning. I pray, God, that you would encourage each of us and meet us where we are. Give us strength, God, to face another day and remind us of your faithfulness. Help us to see joy, God, in the midst of all that's happening. and Help us to be honest with the raw emotions that we all feel. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for this time. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Today's reading is from Psalm 13. We'll be reading from the New International Version. Please follow along as the text is presented on the screen. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Good morning, everybody. We're going to talk this morning about grieving and uh, experiencing loss in our lives. And the word grieving, we typically think of losing a loved one, and and certainly that's included, but it's way more than that. And uh, Dr. David Kessler, who is probably the most famous grief expert in the world today, uh, says that this is common today that really the whole world in some fashion right now is experiencing Grief. So that's the word of the day. And it's that discomfort in our souls. And we're not even sure what to call it, but it's okay to say, hey, I'm grieving over uh, the losses that I've experienced here in the last four to six weeks and, um, and the uncertainty that we live with as we think about the future. So uh, know that. And uh, the... Uh, Americans, it's a, it seems, we, we have a harder time with grief than most cultures historically, and many have commented on this, but I want to uh, go there for just a sec that, you know, if you were to go to a graduation ceremony, if we were to have one uh, this year, you, you, it's not unusual to hear Benjamin Franklin's quote about, you know, if you try hard enough, you can do whatever you want in life. And uh, there's, you know, something true there about motivation. And if you try hard enough, you can do a lot in life, but you can't do anything or, or everything that you want to do. And so, you know, not everybody can be president, not everybody, regardless of how hard they try, not everybody can um, be an astronaut or you can't be an Olympic athlete like me. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. So we, we have to uh, accept the fact that we live within limits of our genetics and our personalities and uh, just kind of who we, how God has made us. And that's not a bad thing. And also with loss, it, it's normal to life. It, it's not, to be a grieving person is not an exceptional thing as we define it in terms of losing things from big things to little things in life. 
Here's the truth, is that to be a human is to grieve. It, it, your whole life, you can just make a catalog out of all those losses. And if you think of your life as a scrapbook, the chapter called Losses or Grieving, it gets bigger the longer that you live. And that's just the way God has made it. And, and for us to, to say things like, uh, I failed the test, or I didn't make the team, or um, she broke up with me, or even, I have cancer. Those are all statements that are difficult, more difficult uh, for Americans to say because of our success orientation. And, um, you know, Facebook, there's this research out there on Facebook depression, and it's basically coming out of this, the idea that we compare our, our lives to somebody else's life who seems to have a, have a better life than I do. And um, there's a sense of, of grieving and loss that comes with that. So, well, the, the ancient Hebrews uh, didn't have any problem with singing the blues or, or letting people know that they were hurting. And so we have all these laments or uh, a third or a half, of, up to a half of the Psalms are laments. And they know how to do loss and they, do it, they seem to do it well. And it's in our Bible so that we might learn to do loss well. And so we might become more human as God intended. So we're going to look this morning at these uh, six verses of Psalm 13, and they break down nicely into three couplets. And the first two, uh, the outline would be the red hot prayer. And then the next part is the taking a deep breath. And then the third part would be a calming hope that comes. So let's start with this red-hot prayer that the writer um, puts up to God. And and so I'll I'll put those verses up for you on the screen. And it begins with four four times the writer says, How long? How long, Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide from me? How long will I have to wrestle and feel sorrow in my heart? And how long will my enemy triumph over me? And they're just... They're not meant to be, the writer is not looking for information from God. He's just pouring out his heart and he's angry and he's upset. He's anxious and he's sad. And it might be helpful for us right now to pause and look at kind of a a very famous framework for understanding grief that was developed by Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who back in the uh, in the 70s, I believe, and she died probably 10 years ago. She was a Swiss uh, psychiatrist and helped people understand the grieving process. So you'll see those, and the interpretation for our situation today is given by uh, David Kessler, who I quoted earlier, uh, and he would say that we are in a place right now of grieving together in this world. So the first is denial, and here's how that would translate today. This is this is Kessler's, these are his words. This virus won't affect us. You may have heard that uh, somewhere in the last month or so. Uh, anger, you're making me stay home and not allowing me to do what I want. You can turn on the television and see that today. Bargaining, you may have said this. Okay, if I social distance for two weeks, everything will be good, right? And then sadness or even depression. When will this ever end? How long, O Lord? And then the final one would be acceptance. 
Now, Dr. Kubler-Ross and Kessler would say, be careful with how you interpret these five stages. They, they're not necessarily linear. They don't, they don't go in that order. And you don't always experience them the way somebody else does. Everybody grieves differently. It's not a formula for how you get through, but the goal would be to get to this place of acceptance so that you can, you can actually uh, live your life and it will be different than it was before. It does affect us. Uh, one of the things I'll come back to is that we don't get over grief. We go through grief and it changes us. Well, this is um, back to the psalm. And when we look at those first two verses, well, we, we don't see denial. We see we see uh, somebody who's willing to go into their, their pain. But what we do see are anger and sadness and maybe some anxiety too, but anger and sadness for sure, with God particularly. And then you also notice the word wrestle. That's an interesting. It's a, it's a key word, I believe, in the psalm. He's wrestling. He's wrestling with the knowledge of God's faithfulness in the past, but also the present reality of this enemy. And uh, commentators, at least some commentators, believe the enemy he's speaking about is a severe illness that is bringing on an impending death. So uh, when you read the psalm, think of the enemy as, as death. So God has been faithful in the past. God is famous for his faithful love. And he's experienced that in the past. But his present reality, and so you see this wrestling match going on. And you don't know who's going to win that wrestling match. And that's, that's causing this churning and this red-hot voice of, of anger and sadness within him. Well, um, you, you know that when you're wrestling with this kind of stuff, you'll have good days and bad days. If you've been sick, you might have a day where things get better and then maybe the next day not so much. One of the, the verses in the Bible that I uh, have often quoted or underlined is Proverbs thirteen twelve: Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you have your hopes up and then the rug gets pulled out, you, you almost wish you had never gotten your hopes up in the first place because it just makes your heart sick. And when your heart gets sick, your body is, is has a harder time uh, of, of getting healed. So uh, that's where the psalmist is. It's not a good place. And um, let's go on to the second uh, coupling of verses. Couplet, and it is uh, verses three and four. Look on me and answer. Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. You can tell that he's moved from red hot to at least some sort of reasoned prayer. One of the things you find in his prayer, though, is bargaining. And you can see that he has um, he's trying to make an argument to God that uh, God, if, if you don't come through here, I'm going to fall to the enemy, which is death. And then he mentions some earthly enemies. But what he's really saying, it seems, is that God, if I don't make it, that doesn't reflect well on your reputation either. So there's some bargaining going on with God, and that's okay. Uh, it's it's coming out of, of his feelings and, and uh, his life. And if you find yourself doing that with God, God's big enough to... Uh, to absorb that, uh, but it's it's just a uh, 
It's a, you, can, you can also see this, this longing for light. He prays for light to come to his eyes. And it's not just his eyes, but into his soul. And he's living with this darkness. So he's, he's really in this wrestling match when he's getting tired, this wrestling match between God's faithfulness and death. He's getting tired and the darkness seems to be coming more and more as he experiences that in the present moment. And he just asks God for light. And it's something that you see in all these Psalms of lament. One of the things that we can do that I would recommend for myself and, and for you to think about is what are three to five things that bring light to your soul? And whether that's today or in the past when things were, quote, normal or whenever, but what brings light to your soul? And it might be practical things like uh, getting some exercise or going for a walk or uh, meeting uh, uh, with a friend or calling a friend or or uh, that kind of thing. Or it could be something more spiritual like I want to I'm going to intentionally list out 10 things that I'm super thankful for right now. It may be something like cultivating laughter in your life, which uh, Patty and I have been trying to do in our life together. But things that bring light to your soul, it's really important for us to consider that question and to have a, a clear answer, I think, in this time. Let's go to the third part of the psalm, and that is where he really finds a hope. It reads, But I trust in your unfailing love, My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. One of the things that I, the image that I get here, and to me it's one of the most beautiful images that I remember from parenting when our kids were little, our three boys were little, and there were those moments when they were angry with with me for some reason, and in their anger they got into just this big, pity thing and they got tears going and flailing of arms and all the rest and eventually they would calm down and it would end up in a good place sitting on my lap and you'd hear that (gasps) that sort of catching of breath after a good cry and you kind of sense that in this psalm from the psalmist that he's had his cry that he's gotten a prayer out and now he's sitting in the lap of his heavenly father and he's saying I trust you your unfailing love, you, the, the wrestling match that we talked about earlier between God's unfailing love and death has been won in the heart of the psalmist. And what we notice, again, just the same as last week in Psalm 77, is that the psalmist um, hasn't experienced any circumstantial change in his life. As far as we know, it's all been internal. It's been internal to him as he has had a conviction in his spirit, in his heart, that God is who he says he is. It's it's this kind of solid feeling of the heart that God is God and I can trust him. And that's the way the psalm ends. It's beautiful. It it ends on such a a hopeful note. Well, I want to reflect on this uh, for just a moment and see where maybe we can get a little bit more uh, out of this. And Come back to that notion of grieving isn't something that you get over. It's something that you go through. If you try to get over it, you're going to miss the gift of it. 
there's a gift in it. There's growth in it, potentially. You can see the in this psalm the, the, the growth that is coming. But um, I, wanna, I wanted to uh, quote a little bit from a book that is on the resource list that I've published for this series, and it's called uh, A Grace Disguised by Dr. Uh, Gerald Sitzer. Some of you may have read it. It, it's a, it. it is an extreme story of loss. So we remember that the grieving process is, is there for us uh, in little losses and in big losses. Well, this was a big loss. And I'll tell you just a little bit, and then I'm going to read a little bit. In uh, the 90s, uh, 1990s, Gerald, he still is, I believe, a professor at Whitworth College in Spokane. And he and his wife and four kids and his mother all got into their minivan and they drove over to uh, Idaho from Spokane uh, to an event. And then on the way home, they had a head-on collision. And in that collision, he lost his mother, his wife, and the young daughter. So three generations of, of women were lost. And so he still has three other children. And uh, But this book was written roughly three years after that event. And he has amazing reflections on grieving. I would recommend this book uh, highly to anyone. But he, he's talking about, in what the part I want to read for you is where his children were three years later. And his reflections are very sweet. So uh, let me read this for you. My children still feel sorrow. Remember, you don't, you don't get over it. You go through it. My children still feel sorrow, as I expect they will for the rest of their lives. The other day, David, who is 10, came upstairs at midnight looking for me. He was crying hard. He crawled on my lap and sat there for a while. Then he expressed a great longing for his mother. Catherine, who's 11 now, asked me recently how she could become a woman without mom. John, who is now five, still pulls his picture album down from the bookshelf and looks at his baby and toddler pictures. He often says wistfully, I miss mommy. These expressions of sadness surface regularly in our home. They are as natural. Listen to that. This is the part. This is really good. These are as natural as noise, fun, and fights. As norm, In other words, as normal life. Loss is a part of who we are as a family. And that is true for every family. Every family has losses. This is just more extreme. But listen to what he says is for his own soul, this going through what it has done for his own soul. Yet the grief I feel is sweet as well as bitter. I still have a sorrowful soul. Yet I wake up every morning joyful, eager for what the new day will bring. Never have I felt as much pain as I have in the last three years, yet never have I experienced as much pleasure in simply being alive and living an ordinary life. Never have I felt so broken, yet never have I been so whole. And he goes on, and the last words of this paragraph are, my whole soul has been stretched. In other words, he didn't go, he didn't get over it. He never will get over it. God didn't intend us to get over our losses. He intends us to go through them and to have our souls be stretched. This is the gift of loss. Another helpful thing in the book, uh, that was something that was helpful to him that someone said, is that 
they, they were talking about how the sun works around the earth. And our temptation is to stay in the sunlight. And you stay in the sunlight by chasing it. And that would be going west. But he says, that's so tiring. And I got tired of chasing the sunlight. And I realized I had to turn around and walk into the darkness. That is lament. And that the quickest way for me to experience a new dawn was to walk east into the darkness. I think that's such a beautiful picture of what grieving is. So for us, as uh, as we think about uh, our loss, and again, we all, it's just good to call it a loss, whatever it is right now. Um, we all have our list. But it might be really helpful just to distinguish between uh, hope and wishful thinking. And I'm all for wishful thinking and positive attitudes. There's nothing necessarily wrong with those. But hope is very different. Hope, biblical hope, is built on a rock-solid foundation. It, it is something that is beyond us. And for the Christian, we celebrated this rock-solid foundation, or I would say the high point of this rock-solid foundation, two weeks ago on Easter, when Jesus, he didn't walk around, he walked through darkness, he walked through death, he walked to a new sunrise himself on the resurrection. And that resurrection event, it it has to be solid within our souls. We have to be convicted by the Holy Spirit that that really did happen on that Sunday morning. Flannery O'Connor, who is a, a famous American novelist, um, if I can if I can quote her, but she gets this when she says that if the resurrection isn't a historical event that really happened, then in her words, to hell with Easter. If it's just wishful thinking that's supposed to cheer us up, it's not going to work. We need a solid foundation. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, that is our hope. That is the rock. That is the conviction of heart. And when we know that, we have hope that dispels the darkness. We have hope that when we're in that wrestling match, we know that we are going to see a new sunrise, that light is going to come, that we can endure the present because of the ultimate hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So what I'd like to do right now is is just form a prayer around the hope that we have that is built upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, there's a, um, I, I think I speak for all of us, there's a feeling of discomfort in our souls, God. There's something there that wasn't there before that we may not have a name for, but it seems to be what we would call grief and loss, and um, we put that before you. Um, God, we thank you for these psalms that help us, that are there to teach us how to pray. Um, They're there to keep us healthy and have light in our souls and hope in our hearts, to be human and to live with loss in the best way. And we lift our hearts to you now, Lord, um, for your light to come into the dark places. And infect us, God, with more hope that makes us or allows us to look forward to a new sunrise and to the ultimate reality, the sunrise of a new heaven and a new earth 
God, thank you for the light that is ours in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. As we go into this week, um, the losses that have happened to you in life are part of your life. And we never get over them. But we also don't get over all the good stuff that's happened to us. And especially we don't get over God's love for us. It's so amazing. And that's the foundation for the hope we have. And so we can go into this week with the light of Christ in us. So go and take with you the light of Christ. Amen. Amen.